Austin, all of the great leadership here. It's been excellent. Job 29, beginning in verse 1. Moreover, Job continued his parable. This is going to be another lengthy reading. Don't mind me. I'm a Bible study teacher, so I don't mind reading a lot of Scripture. Praise God. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me, when his candle shined upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in the days of my youth when the, the secret of God was upon my tabernacle. When the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me, when I washed my steps with butter and the rock poured me out rivers of oil, when I went out to the gate through the city, when I prepared my seat in the street, the young men saw me and hid themselves, and the aged arose and stood up. The princes refrained talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The nobles held their peace, and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me, and when the eyes saw me, it gave witness to me, because I delivered the poor that cried, and the fatherless, and him that had none to help him. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. I was eyes to the blind, and I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the poor, and the cause which I knew not I searched out. And I break the jaws of the wicked, and I pluck the spoil out of his teeth. Then said I, I shall die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as the sand. I want to preach for the next few moments. Don't die in the nest. Why don't you put your Bible down and lift up your hands and your heart to heaven? God, I pray that you would anoint this place. Sanctify the house and every vessel in it, oh God. Purify us, God. Break up the fallow ground of our hearts today to receive the engrafted word of God. Speak to us, O oh God. Deliver us, O oh God. Launch us into the place that you would have us to go, O oh God. And we'll praise you for the work that you're going to do in this place, God. Come on, why don't you do it in, exam in advance? Somebody clap your hands. All ye people, and shout to God with a voice of triumph. We praise you, God. Because we already know you're going to do a great work in this place by your spirit, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you. You can be seated in the presence of God. I know you stayed out late last night and you played basketball. Who won the basketball game? Brother Kadarius, did, did you do it? <laughs> no, it didn't happen. Y'all got beat by the students? Oh, come on, man. Y'all needed the great white hope with the hook shot out there helping you. <laughs> Praise God. Last time I tried to play basketball, I sprained my ankle. I was, I was broke down for a handful of weeks. But I got the, I got, while I was up studying and praying, I got the text message from, I got, well, not text message, but the prompt from Holy Ghost Radio saying they were broadcasting. So I know you were up late, but how many of you are going to help me preach today? How many of you came to hear a word from God? Praise God. It would be easy for us today to analyze the life of the man Job. You see, I mean, you can't read his story, but for a few minutes that you see an incredible amount of actualization. This man was not a novice. This man was experienced. Uh, he had a lot of things going in his life. He had sons and daughters and servants and sheep and goats and all kinds of stuff. He was a wealthy man. 
on every dimensional level. You examined his life. He was a righteous man and he prayed and he fasted to God. And he gave alms to the poor and he sought out to, to, to deliver people from wickedness and unrighteousness. This is, a, this is a good man and this is a faithful man of God. And, um, and, and he, he was successful in his life and he was pleasing to God. God had in Job's life, as he does many times throughout the word of God, he had placed him in a place to actualize. How many of you are thankful to be in a church where you can grow and develop and become? Praise God. He had placed Job in an in a environment that he could grow and he could actualize and he was preserved by God. And you see this throughout the word of God. It is a pattern in scripture. And when you see patterns, look at somebody next to you and tell them the patterns don't lie. The patterns in scripture are profound. When you see a pattern, when you see something repeat throughout the word of God, you understand that that is an important component of what God is trying to do in the earth. And so in Job's life, as it is the case throughout scripture, you see a pattern. God put Adam and Eve in the garden. The garden was a place to develop. It was a place to grow and to be nurtured. God had a plan for the entire world. But I want you to understand something about God. God. God is omniscient. He is everywhere at the same time. He knows everything. He, he knows the end from the beginning. And so God can look through the microscope and the telescope at the same time. God can look at the cosmos and he can look at the individual at the same time. A lot of times that's difficult for us. It's hard for us to see uh, through the big picture and through the microscopic simultaneously. And a lot of times we are living our individual life and we understand the nuts and the bolts of what's happening in our life but it's difficult to do that while simultaneously stepping back and seeing the big picture of what God is trying to do in the earth so Adam and Eve were placed in a garden they were the garden was a prepared place by God a place that God shaped and molded and placed in, in into the earth for Adam and Eve to actualize and grow it was a fixed place there were rules that governed the garden there were things they could do, things that they could not do. And all of that was going to be uh, for the actualization of Adam and Eve in the earth. God is examining them. He is watching them while at the same time he's looking at the universe. He's looking at the cosmos. As a matter of fact, he's observing the entire narrative of the human, human story. And he is looking from beginning to end. And he's understanding that what I put Adam and Eve in the garden to do, it won't be housed here forever. Adam and Eve probably couldn't see that their life was a part of something larger. But God knew that their life was a part of something larger. That garden wasn't just going to be contained in that place but God had a plan for everybody. God had a plan for all people. God had a plan for all nations. But he, he put them in a garden and he put rules and stipulations there. And what was in the garden could grow. It could mature and develop and become without 
outside are competing forces. And so God put boundaries around the garden. And God put restrictions within the garden. Because God had something that he wanted to develop and nurture. And he wanted something to become. And so God gave them a place. And God gave them an environment. And this is the same thing that God does with the nation of Israel as time progresses. God gives them a land. God gives them a place. And, and, and when we read in Isaiah chapter 5, we read a poetic breakdown of the plan of God, what God is trying to do. God is going to build Jerusalem. God is going to expand his plan across the earth. But before he does that, he's going to choose out a man by the name of Abraham. And he's going to choose out a people for himself. And, 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 and you know, maybe if Abraham was examining his life through the microscope, he would see, yes, God has a plan for me, but, but it would be in time that Abraham would begin to understand that what God is trying to do in my life is not just about my life. It's not just about this place, and it's not just about this time, and it's not just about this little microscopic environment that God has given to me, but God had to reinforce into Abraham's thinking over and over and over again, Abram, what I am trying to do in your life is not just about you, but it's about a larger group of people. I'm going to give you some promises, Abraham. I'm going to give you a place, Abraham. I'm going to give you a posterity, Abraham. I'm going to give you a seed, but that seed is not just about you, Abraham. In your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Abraham's failure many times was in not understanding that what God is doing in my life is bigger than the microscopic perspective that I have but God is looking at every nation and God is looking at every tongue and God is looking at every creed and God is looking at every people look at somebody next to you and tell him God's got a plan for my life high five somebody else and tell him it's bigger than just me So we put him in a garden. Isaiah chapter 5, he begins to talk about what he was doing in the nation of Israel. He had a relationship with his people, but he gives them this metaphor, this illustrative story to describe what he is going to do in the nation of Israel. Now will I sing a song of my well-beloved concerning his vineyard. You have to understand something. It's not my vineyard. This is not my kingdom. This is not even about our individual respective churches, but as we build the church as you build a church in Bakersfield and as they build a church in Sacramento it's a part of something bigger a plan that God has for the earth now will I sing a song of my well beloved concerning his vineyard he had a vineyard in a fruitful hill he had it in a productive place he took a choice vine and he planted it and he had a design for that vine he had a design that that vine would grow, that it would expand. He put a watchtower in his vineyard and the Bible says that he fenced it in. That he put a, a, a fence around it to distinguish what was on the outside from what is on the inside. And many times, if you're just examining your world from the perspective of your vineyard, you see the fence and you think that you are in a defensive posture 
But in the plan of God, it never was intended that the people of God would be in a defensive posture. It would just be the plan of God that that fence would serve as a barrier between things coming into the vineyard that would defile the vine. But it was always the plan of God for for what was on the inside of the vineyard to cross over the wall into the outside of the vineyard. Come on, I'm telling you, God's got a plan for your life. God's got a plan for your city. God's got a plan for your ministry. It's not the will of God for you to stay where you are, but God's looking at that vine and he's saying, nurture it, cultivate it, develop it, make it actualize, but one day, Day, that vine's gonna break out uh, of that place uh, and you're gonna expand the borders of your inheritance. Uh, come on, I'm telling somebody here today, God's calling a generation uh, to break out uh, of the borders of your inheritance. Uh, God's calling a generation uh, to expand the kingdom of God. Uh, God's calling somebody to tap in uh, to his perspective uh, about what he wants to do in the world. Come on, somebody praise him. Somebody magnify him. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. It was never designed to be a permanent place. But we seek permanence. We seek homeostasis. We seek stability. We want it to be like it always has been. And there's a function in that because we want the systematic. We want the process. We want the routinization because we want things to stay the way that they have been. You, but you could stop in any one of these stories, these analogies, and you could, if you're not careful, you could assume that that is the summation of life, just to sustain life, just to maintain your existence. But it wasn't designed to be a permanently fixed place. God's plan for Adam and Eve was that they would live, they would, his plan was not that they would live forever in the garden, but he had a design for them. God was looking at the remainder of the unactualized world, and that's why you get scriptures like break up the fallow ground of our heart and we pray that prayer that fallow means unactualized place because in every heart there are components of our nature and the things that God would design to unfold and this is what happens with a preacher a preacher has to grow. He has to expand because there are places in our psyche, there are places in our thinking, in our critical thinking, there are places in our spirit that are not actualized yet. And so we pray, God, break up the fallow ground of my heart. The fallow ground is the place I haven't planted yet. It's the place inside of me. And that's why just as we take territory in the natural, we have to take territory in our mind. We have to because of the fallen nature, your mind is broken. Your emotions are broken. You are messed up. And so you have to take authority over your thinking. Listen, the world is encroaching, but the border is intended to be a place where you where you begin to take territory and refine the things of God in your life.
was always the plan of God for it to be a movable kingdom. We are his pecuniary. We are his movable treasure. And so we are, we are living out this, this stasis, this permanence, this temporary existence of a stability. That's why we build a house and we build a life. And, and you need to do that. You need to get your education and you, you need to pursue a career and you need to have some stability in your life. And all of these things are good. But you're, you're living in the tension of that stasis, of that permanence, of that semi-permanence in the, in the developed place that you're in against the backdrop of the knowledge that God has no intention of me staying where I am. This nest, this incubation place. This I'm just telling you, it's not the will of God for young people to sit on the pew and do the same thing over and over and over again and expect something different to happen. It's the will of God for you to expand your knowledge. It's the will of God for you to expand your prayer life. It's the will of God for you to expand your evangelism so that the kingdom of God can increase and grow in the earth. That's the plan of God. I'm just telling you, in 2022, somebody needs to reprioritize their life. There are people in this audience that have been bored this last year. You've been bored. You're not content. You're not satisfied. If there's something on the inside of you, raise your hand if at some point you've been discontent in the last few years. If there is something in you that is discontent with where you are, that is not an excuse to get distracted and go and play some kind of a game. There's a God nature on the inside of you that is always seeking to express itself. And so if you are in a place where you are dissatisfied and discontented, it's a time for you to step out of where you have been and reach another, another level of actualization in your life. It's time to do something different than what you have been doing up to this point. where Job is in our story. He's successful. He's done a lot with his life. But it's incredible to think that somebody could be successful because we tend to think about the nest as being age-specific. Uh-huh, yeah. We tend to think, oh, that's about young people. And this is a youth conference, and I'm preaching to young people, but I'm not just preaching to young people. I'm preaching to youth pastors. I'm preaching to pastors. It's possible to have been pastoring for 15 years and still be in the nest. It's possible to have been a youth pastor for five years and still be in the nest. Just doing what I've always known to do. Doing... What it, Brother, Brother Phillips, I couldn't believe what you preached last night and what God had already given me to preach for today was hand in glove. I remember the stories of Bishop Sutton, who, is, who has been pastoring in Birmingham for 35 years. When he went to Birmingham, he called Bishop Wilson, and he said, I want you to come. And, and he came to Birmingham, and he preached for us, but they walked around a park there in, 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 right outside of Birmingham for 
about six to eight hours. They walked around this little pond, this little lake in that community. And Brother Sutton interviewed him over, just asked question after question after question until Bishop Wilson was hoarse. He had given him all the information that he could in that period of time. Here was a man, Brother Sutton did something that was so interesting. He, he constantly brought people in who were further down the road than he was. He didn't, he didn't bring in people who were just, you know, fledgling. And, I, and it's, it's, an important, it's important to give young people an opportunity. But he brought in the greatest minds and thinkers in the apostolic movement. And he quizzed them and he said, how do you have revival? What should we do? How should we develop the congregation? I'm just here to tell you, if you keep doing the same thing you been doing over and over and over again nothing is going to change in your life you have to be willing to ask people how did you get it done if somebody's further down the road than you you need to get their phone number and you need to say come on tell me what you did to have a breakthrough tell me what you did to have success in your ministry to come on I'm telling you that's what this generation needs to lock into the understanding that God has a plan and there are some people that are further down the road than I am and I have to be willing to get out of my nest. Most sermons you hear preached about Job are preached in the first chapter or in the last chapter. But there is a conversation that's happening between Job and his friends that represent thesis and antithesis and synthesis. If you're not familiar with the concept, it's, a, it's what's called a dialectic. In Greek schools of thought, it was the way to challenge conventional wisdom. That you would bring a proposition, you would bring a, th a thesis, and then you would have somebody else answer the thesis. And you would listen to them because you really cared about what they thought. Because in order to prove an idea, it has to have an opposing idea. It has to have, Brother Phillips, it has to have a devil's advocate. You have to have, I'm just telling you, you need somebody to challenge your ideas. You don't need to live in a vacuum where all you hear is your own thinking. You need to find people in your life that are willing to be honest with you because a real friend will tell you the truth. A real friend will tell you, I don't agree with that. A real friend will tell you, I did it and it didn't work that way. A real friend will tell you, baby, come on, that's not the way. Let me show you an opposing idea. So if you study the book of Job, you realize that there is a parallel conversation happening on the earth to the one happening in the heaven. The problem is, is that Job does not understand that this conversation is happening in heaven. Job is just living out this conversation on the earth. Job is stuck in a situation that he doesn't understand. Job is stuck in a situation. Job thought in his own mind, I'm going to live out my life. I'm going to take this easy route. I'm going to keep doing the same thing I've been doing over and over again and I'm going to get the same result. The problem is is that Job had had a beautiful tapestry of actualization in his life but God wasn't finished with Job. God had another chapter for Job's life and Job had to be willing to submit it. God 
was going to work some things out in Job's life that would bring reconciliation, re reconciliation for generations of people that would come down line. God was going to bring revelation to Job's life that was going to transform his world and that was going to speak peace into future generations of people. Job is having a conversation with his friends on the earth and there is thesis and antithesis. Job's saying, I've been faithful. They're saying, you couldn't have been faithful because God is just. Job saying, yeah, I know God is just. I know God is faithful. I know God is good, but I can't understand how I've been doing the same thing I've always done, and now I'm getting a different result. And so the thesis and antithesis are going back and forth on the earth, while at the same time, the same thing is happening in the heavens. Satan did not initiate the conflict in Job's life. It wasn't Satan's plan that was unfolding in Job's life. It was the plan of God that was unfolding in Job's life. The problem is, is that we get too comfortable calling what is evil good and what is good evil. Because we see COVID as a problem. But the problem is that the church has been in the nest for a while. You see, there's always a conversation happening in the invisible while the conversation's happening in the earth. The preacher's on the phone. Should we cancel church? Should we not cancel church? What should we do? And the whole time there's a conversation happening in the heaven. Have you considered my servant Job? Yeah, I considered your servant Job, God, but you got him in a in a, in, a, in a hedge. You've got him in a box. Every time I try to come at him, I can't get to him. And God said, okay, you think that's the problem? You see, God's baiting your adversary. Your adversary is not really in charge. Your God is in charge. Your adversary is just a little dog on a short leash trying to get to you. Have you considered my servant Job? Yeah. What is this? It's thesis. It's antithesis. What does that bring? What does that conflict bring? It brings synthesis. Because God has an, a transcendent. God has an ascending plan for Job's life. But Job doesn't feel like he's ascending. He feels like he's descending. But we already know the principle that whoever ascends has to first descend. He has to first be met with conflict and crisis and adversity. Yeah, he's perfect, but I'm not done with him. And so Job is wrestling with his friends while a conversation is happening in the heavens. And Job is thinking, now let me, let me explain something to you. You have a Bible, but Job didn't have a Bible. He didn't have a book. He didn't have a text to read. Everything up to that point had been passed on through oral tradition. And so Job, in the process of time, is going to get frustrated in this conflict. He is, see the canon of scripture 
We read in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the frame for human existence. And the Bible has a chronological flow. But the Bible is not completely chronological. Because the first book written, theologians tell us, they believe that the first book written is the book of Job. See, this is how God works. The spirit moves first, not the word. The word is canonized and it's captured. But the spirit is moving. And so Job had a relationship with God before he had a Bible that canonized those experiences. And so... And I've got a lot of people that are nervous right now. But Job didn't have a Bible. Job had an oral tradition. He had a relationship with God. He had a spiritual experience. What that means is for generations of time, he had heard them say, God is faithful. And he bought it. God is faithful. God is good. God is good. God weighs in an even balance. God weighs in an even balance, and so Job proved it. And time and time again, what he had heard by the ear, by the hearing of it, he continued to do, and God was faithful. And God, but there came a point in time in Job's life where what had always transpired by faithful obedience to the word of God didn't work anymore. And he gets frustrated. And he's having this conflict with his friends. And there's this debate in the heavens. And God is wagering with Satan on Job. He's saying, this is going to play out. Because I know my servant Job. I know his heart. I know that he loves me. He's been faithful. And he's going to continue to be faithful. But what I'm doing is going to cause a new level of understanding and knowledge about what I'm seeking to do with humanity. We love to quote Isaiah chapter 28 when we're talking about learning the Bible. They learned it line upon line and precept upon precept and here a little and there a little. But with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people to whom he said this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest and this is the refreshing yet they would not hear. Why? Because they learned line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little. And there a little. Walking around the predictability of what has always been over and over and over and over again. Sounds like 40 years in the wilderness. It wasn't an issue of doctrine. It was an issue of faith. What was the problem with the nation of Israel in the wilderness? They wanted it to continue to be. They wanted God to fix all their problems. They wanted an easy button. They wanted it to be the way that it always had been over and over and over again. But they didn't want to follow by faith. And that's why the entire time he was leading them by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. That pillar of cloud and pillar of fire is a paradox. What does that mean? That means that the pillar is stationary, but the cloud is liquid. The pillar of fire, the pillar is stationary, but the fire is liquid. And see, they, when they got up in the morning, they didn't know if they were going to camp out all day or if the cloud was going to move. What was
them. He was teaching them. It always has been about faith. And as you buy into God's principle, God's going to unfold. Adam and Eve didn't have a Bible. They had a relationship with God. Cain and Abel didn't have a Bible. They had an oral tradition and a relationship. But as they followed God faithfully, the canon unfolded. And that's why we get Hebrews 11. When we look back on it, we say they were people of faith. How do we know? Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. And there are people that want a Rembrandt or a Picasso ministry with a paint-by-number illustration. Just think about it. You got the paint-by-number. You have the Rembrandt. What's the difference? Dimension. Personality. Creativity. Everybody wants to be self-differentiated, but they don't want to have to have faith. You just tell me what to do next, and I'll do it. Young people waiting on the youth pastor to tell you what to do next. That's a paint-by-number ministry. It will never be beautiful. It will never have glory. And so Job, Job begins to wrestle. Now, I've heard it preached before. Job begins to look for God. He begins to search for God. He begins to search for the answers. And he can't find them. He can't find God. He can't find the answers. And so then... He finally says, I wish that I could find God. I wish that the Almighty would appear before me and that my adversary had written a book. Now, I've heard it preached before that adversary's the devil. That adversary's not the devil in this story. Uh-oh. In 42 chapters of the book of Job, he never mentions the devil. Not one time. That word adversary that he uses in the same sentence, he says, I wish that one would appear before me. That's God. One. I wish that the Almighty would make his presence known. That's God. And I wish, comma, and I wish that mine adversary had written a book. What does the word adversary mean? The one with whom I am contending. The one, here's, ready? The one with whom I am wrestling. Both times, both times, Satan comes and takes from Job. He has an opportunity to curse. 
And both times, he says, God gives. God takes away. Job never mentions the devil. Job, when his wife comes and she says, curse God and die. Just get it over with, man. You've been faithful and it ain't working. He says, no. Shall we we receive blessing at the hand of God and not curses also? Job never sees himself wrestling with the devil. Well, the devil did it. No, he didn't. You're a child of God. You're in the nest of God. This is about God. This is not about the devil. God said, I create light and darkness. I create good and evil. my adversary had written a book I wish I could have gotten the book first no Job nobody gets the book first where in your Bible does it talk about navigating COVID it ain't in there the book is the historical narrative of all the things brother Phillips that he's already done But you, you are epistles read among all men. Oh, that my adversary had written a book. I'm content. Well, who's he looking for? He's not looking for the devil. He's looking for God. Who's he searching for? Where's the conflict originating? It's originating in heaven. And it didn't originate with the devil. It originated with God because God has a plan for Job's life. He said, man, God, if you had written a book, I would take it and I would bind it upon my head like a crown. And I would appear before you and I would challenge you, God. Because all I've ever known... God is just and God is faithful and God weighs in an even balance. You know what the problem is, God? I just don't have that written down. I've just experienced this by trial and error my whole life and God keeps being faithful. But I'm in a season of my life where I'm doing what I've always done and I'm getting a different result and if I just had a book, if I had a contract, God, if I had a constitution, I would go to court and I would challenge you on it. But I don't have it in a book. And when God appears to Job, you know what God says? He said, hey, Job, stand up. Stand up. Let's argue. Let's talk, Job. Stand up like a man. Who would contend with the Almighty? 
Job, who you've been arguing with. Yet Job was arguing with his wife and Job was arguing with his friends, but they were standing proxy for God because he could not find God. But he was saying, God, I'm just telling there are people who've been on the phone with friends and you're like, I don't know what God is doing, but I just don't understand why I'm going through what I'm going through. God says, hey, Job, stand up, bub, and answer me. You've been talking to everybody else about it, but why don't you talk to me about it, Job? Who would dare to contend with the Almighty? Job, you want to play God? Shall the clay say to the potter, why have you made me thus? You want to be God or you want to be the servant of God? Job, where were you when I framed this thing? Where were you when I established the borders and the barriers? Where were you when I planted the vineyard that is your life, Job? Come on, tell me, Job. Who gave you breath in your body? Who gave you destiny beating on the inside of your heart? Who gave you your fingerprint, Job? Come on, stand up and contend with me, Job. You see, you have to see the story of Job while you're reading the story of Adam and Eve. That's the tensional reality. That's why the Bible is not completely chronological. It's not a pain by number because it would be a boring picture. It's a tapestry and it's beautifully woven together. And when you, when you walk it out, when you're faithful to the plan of God, sometimes you're looking at the particle and you're, the scientist is looking in the microscope and he's trying to figure out what is the nature of the particle? Where is it coming from and where is it going? But they found that that observer looking at the particle thinks it's going left and it goes left and then thinks it's going right and it's going right. And scientists are baffled by that. Why? Because God has an unfolding plan and you get to participate with him in the unfolding plan because you have God's DNA. You have the nature of God on the inside of you and you have created power. I'm just telling you, you have more power than you understand to direct the particles. If What will they be? Well, it's not static. It's unfolding. And sometimes you think left and it goes left. And sometimes you think right and it goes right. That's where grace comes in. Because a man like Abraham can follow God and have a heart after God and still produce an Ishmael. But see, we don't want to make mistakes because we're trying to protect a reputation. We're trying to preserve an image. But faithful men and women of God are willing to make mistakes. They're willing to fail on their way to perfection. They're willing to participate with God in the process. God tells Job... I'm going to write the book, but you'll be dead and gone. But another generation, they'll take the book and they'll eat it. They'll bind it upon their foreheads. Job said, if I had a book, I'd bind it on my forehead. I'd make it like a crown. 
Because God, I've done everything I, I know to do, and it still didn't work out this time. But a future generation, Job, they're going to read your story, and they're going to bind it on their forehead. Go and read Deuteronomy chapter 6. Write it on the doorpost of your home. Make it like a frontlet between your eyes. you got to eat the book. But the book is just to reinforce the idea that there's an unfolding plan in our generation that is going to produce things we've never seen before. And if you just want a paint-by-number evangelism strategy... It's not going to be a beautiful tapestry that's going to give glory back to God. You're going to stay in the same little rut that you've always been in. But if you're willing to eat the book and you're willing to buy into the plan of God and you're willing to step out by faith, you're going to step out onto the waters of the spiritual. And as you are stepping out, the platform will appear out of liquid a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire. He hath established it, founded it on the seas, and established it upon the floods. This was always a spiritual journey. This was always a walk of faith. And I can't have this conversation, musicians come, without thinking about the eagle in the nest. I can't think about the birds the, the, the test that the, the, the mother eagle has with the, the paternal influence, the father, where in their, the dance that they do before they produce offspring, the mother eagle will take the branch and throw it out, and the father will go down and snatch it up. She will take a rock and drop it from high up, and he will swoop down and grab it. I can't think about this story without thinking about the, the physical world and animals that have some programming from God in them. That the mother eagle understands that for a season of time, my offspring, will, my offspring will stay in the nest and they will be nurtured. She brings food to them and she coddles them and she pampers them and she provides for them. And there is homeostasis and there is stability and there is predictability for a season of time. All that baby bird knows is the nurturing influence of mama. And to some degree, if that process happens too long, she becomes the Oedipal mother who coddles and nurtures and protects the baby. You know that eagle, when he's ready to fly, he's the same size as mama and daddy. And he's this gangly looking thing. They set cameras up on the sides of nest. And you can watch that thing as it grows up. And it's, it's, it's fully formed and mature in its anatomical structure and its nature and its physiology. But he stands on the edge of the nest looking out at the depths below. That heartbeat. because he's never flown before. And mama will bring him food. Why do you think we have extended adolescence in America? It's the edible mama. It's her little baby. The problem is her little baby is as big as she is. 
so funny. Because that, that eagle in adolescence, he starts to, mama leaves the nest. She's gone for a little while. And he kind of hops a little bit. And he flaps his wings and then he settles back down and he cowers back in the nest. Job said, I thought I was going to die in the nest. I thought God was going to just keep bringing scraps of food. Everything I did kept working. I didn't know that who the one who had been my friend would become my adversary. And there's mama tries all kinds of tactics. Sometimes she'll bring food back to the nest and she'll eat it while he watches. She's just chomping around on that fish or whatever prey she's found. And he's looking over at her and he's salivating. And he reaches out to grab something and she snatches it back. And he's hurt. He's stung. But she's keeping it from him. That's not fair. Griping and murmuring and complaining. It's not fair. comprehending the beauty of the plan not even understanding the glory the incredible glory on the other side of the pain oh man God if you had just written a book I would make my charge against you Job get over yourself I'm God I know the end from the beginning. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts than your thoughts. So she withholds food. And there's a point. And, and there are all kinds of birds that do different things. But there's a point where there's this chaos that happens. Where she just starts breaking up the nest. There's a point where he flutters his wings. I've seen images of this. Where he flutters his wings and he flies a little bit. But he grabs on the edge of the tree because he's shaking with fear. And she comes at him and she starts beating him with her wings. Mom, what are you doing? I thought you loved me. God's always there to swoop down and pick you up and grab you. He's always, there's a plan in all of this. He's ready to pick you up. Like Christ, less at any, at any moment, he dashes his foot against the stone. He's given his angels charge over you. They're ministering spirits that are sent to minister to heirs of salvation. If you stay where you are, you're going to die in the nest. Because there's going to be a point where mama's not coming back with food. And if she does, if she continues to feed you in your current state, you're going to die spiritually. You have to get out of the nest. There are churches 
that never get out of the nest. There are ministries that never get out of the nest. There are youth groups that never get out of the nest. Majority of the ministries that happen, the majority of the miracles that happened in Jesus' ministry didn't happen in the church. They happened in the streets. The majority of the, the miracles that happened in the first century church did not happen in church. They happened in the street. And people today ask the question, where are the miracles? Where's the power? Never was intended to stay in the nest. Never was intended. It's supposed to be in your school. It's supposed to be in that coffee shop that you keep going to. It's supposed to happen in the highways and in the byways. It's supposed to happen by the wayside. That's where ministry happens. And God is calling a generation. I've come today. I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at second and third and fourth generation apostolic kids today. But I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, God sent me here to break up your nest. People see ministry as a platform at peak or at a conference. Let me tell you something. I honor and I value the opportunity to come and preach today. But I have a tether that's pulling me home. This is, has nothing to do with what God is doing in my life. This is an opportunity to minister to the people of God. And I don't take it lightly, but this does not define me. Preaching peak does not define you, young preacher. Well, I wish I could get my opportunity. You know what? I've got a slot this year, but you can have the slot. I don't care about the opportunity to preach the conference. Ministry happens outside of the nest. That's why God shakes the nest. That's why pandemic and plague comes to the church. The church didn't grow until persecution came. Oh God. James is dead. Oh God, it's not fair. <laughs> Never forget what Elder Wells told Brother Zach Wells when he was dying. And Brother Zach Wells looked at him and said, It's not fair that you're dying. I wish you could stay with me. And he said, Boy, God ain't running a fair, He's running a kingdom. God's not running a fair. It's not for my glory. It's for his glory. And if you'll step out on the water, you will see the miraculous of God. You will walk in your high places. God will confirm his word with signs following.
sometimes Lazarus dies and we weep but it's for the glory if you could see it you would see the glory you would see the dimension you would see the power you would see but you can't see it when you're looking through the microscope all you can see is the pain but guess what God's writing a book right now of your life I'm just telling you one day people are going to hear the story of what God did in your life and ministry and they will believe God because you walk by faith come on why don't you come down to the front the Holy Ghost wants to do a work in this place right now. God is calling a generation to walk out, walk by faith and not by sight, to believe that God can do exceedingly and abundantly and above all that you can ask or think according to the power that is already working in you. you said.